Good morning, my sweetheart church. It is good to be back with you after being out of the pulpit for a, a little bit. I'm so grateful for the, the team that carries right on. we got a great bench, and uh, I know you appreciate that too. The other night after a meeting with our elders, we call it the session, I was walking to my car, out in the parking lot walking to my car, and I noticed that two of our elders, Serena and Stephanie, were out walking ahead of me. It was kind of getting dark, and they were all by themselves, and they were really locked into a conversation with each other. It was obvious that they were in deep conversation. And they were approaching my car. And I couldn't help myself. So as they stepped in front of my car, I pressed the alarm button on my phone. <laughs> and they were alarmed. It apparently works. It works as they shrieked, and then they wheeled around to find me. You're laughing my guts out in the middle of the, the parking lot. It wasn't very pastoral, I know. It wasn't nice. Oh, but it was funny. <laughs> this morning we are continuing in our journey through Luke's gospel, one of the four accounts of the life of Jesus. And we turn to an alarming message from the Lord. It's not funny. It's kind of disturbing, honestly. And to be completely candid with you, it has been a tough word for me to write, a tough message to write. But this is God's Word. All of it is God's Word. These are the words of Jesus that we're going to be reading, and we trust that the Holy Spirit has something to say to us that will help form us into the people that He wants us to be. So I invite you to lean in with me and brace yourself a little bit. Uh, this is going to be a little bit alarming, but it is also God's good Word for us. All right, are you in? Nod your heads so I know you're with me. All right, we turn to Luke chapter 12, beginning with verse 49. Jesus is continuing in a basically a series of teachings where he's talking about the end times, he's talking about judgment. All right, so it's, it's not light stuff. And we pick it up in verse 49. Jesus said, I came to cast fire on the earth, and would that it were already kindled. Fire is almost always an expression for judgment. So I said, he's saying, I came to bring judgment. I, he said, I have a baptism to be baptized with, and how great is my distress until it is accomplished. Hear that from the Lord. Do you think that I've come to give peace on earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. From now on, in one house, there will be five divided, three against two and two against three. They will be divided father against son, Son against father, mother against daughter, daughter against mother, mother-in-law against daughter-in-law, and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. This is the word of the Lord. See what I mean? It's a tough passage, isn't it? It's not exactly, you know, easy pickings here. And, it, and doesn't it feel a little bit out of character for the Jesus that we know? I mean, do you remember the message of the angels at Christmas? A message, by the way, that this same writer, Luke, is the one who recorded this message. He's the only one that gives us the account of these angelic hosts in the skies over Bethlehem announcing the birth of Jesus, and they do so with these glorious words. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth, what? Peace! Peace! Goodwill toward men. And then later, when Jesus is gathered with his disciples in the upper room, before his arrest, before he is taken into custody, he comforts his disciples with these words, peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you. I mean, from the beginning to end, it sure sounds like 
the story of Jesus is a story of bringing peace to earth? Isn't that, in fact, the point of the gospel? Peace with God. We humans were at enmity with God. Because of our sin, we were deserving of His wrath and of His judgment. But because God so loved this broken world, He sent His only Son, Jesus, that we might not perish, but instead we would have life, a life of peace, of shalom, of wholeness, here and for all of eternity. Isn't that our precious gospel message? So how here can Jesus say, do you think that I have come to give peace on earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. Who would sing Christmas carols that go glory to God in the highest and on earth division among all people? That's not going to catch on. And if that statement wasn't harsh enough on its face, he illustrates it with really stark terms. He says families will be divided. Father against son, son against father, mother against daughter, daughter against mother. Last week, my dad was finally able to go home after spending more than a week in the hospital. And seeing him there and seeing his frustration, it was hard for me because I love him. We are close. He's nearly 92 years old, and my dad still calls me to tell me he loves me and that he's proud of me and what a good sermon I preached. I love those phone calls. I'm a quite grown man, but the praise of my father still matters to me. And by the way, dads, your sons and daughters never get tired of hearing your words of blessing. It will enlarge their souls as nothing else will. We don't know much about Jesus' childhood. We do know that he lived in obedience and honor to his parents. In fact, Luke is the one who tells us that. Only Luke talks about his childhood. And at his cross, one of Jesus' last gasp requests was that John would take care of Mary, his mother, when Jesus was gone. Jesus, it seems from beginning to end, honored his family. But here he speaks of dividing families rather than uniting them. So surely we are missing something. And I think we are. Let's set this back in context, all right? Jesus has turned his face toward Jerusalem. He is heading towards Calvary. The shadow of the cross is already looming over him, and you can tell the anxiety, the, the, uh, the stress it is beginning to create inside of him. He says, I have a baptism to be baptized with. How great is my distress until it is accomplished. That word distress actually means to be torn in two. Jesus feels torn in two about what he knows is coming. He's about to pay the supreme price, the laying down of his life in order that his beloved and his rebellious children might be saved from their sins. And here's the painful reality that you can hear in his heart and voice. It pours out of his lips. It is this, there will be many who despite Jesus' costly sacrifice for them will reject him. They will reject this unbelievable gift. They will turn their back upon him and upon the God who sent him. He will proffer a gift of forgiveness of sin and life, and they will scorn it and spit in its face. And this decision, beloved, this decision to reject the greatest gift of life ever offered to humanity will become the 
point of division. The greatest of all divisions. The division between those who believe and follow Jesus and those who do not. And so we come here to the, probably uh, aside from offensive Christians, we come to the most offensive doctrine that may be the greatest offensive aspect of the Christian faith. And that is this, the exclusive nature of the claims of Jesus. The exclusive claims of Christ. Jesus portrays himself here as the great divider because what you believe about him and what you do with what you believe about him is the dividing point for all of humanity. Jesus spoke perhaps a little less offensively about it when he talked in Matthew 25 about the sheep and the goats. Remember that? It's the scene of the final judgment. And all of humanity is lined up before him. And they go one way or the other, right or left. <clears throat> the sheep, they, she, they, they come to God. The, the goats, they reject God and are consigned to eternal punishment. And I'm sure you'll see the irony in this. Jesus, who is the greatest gift of our Heavenly Father, sent to reconcile all persons to God, also becomes the source of greatest division. In, in that same passage where Jesus told his disciples, peace I leave you, my peace I give unto you. Remember that passage? I quoted it earlier. Well, in that same passage, he makes the most exclusive claims about his earthly ministry when he says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. You will not find a more concise, more unambiguous affirmation of the exclusive claims of Jesus Christ than right there from his own mouth. And progressive Christians hate this verse. It is one thing to see that Jesus is a way to the Father, but to say that Jesus is the way to the Father, the only way, and no one gets to God apart from him, well, that infuriates them. And it also messes with their yard signs. <laughs> you know the ones I'm talking about. This is supremely countercultural. It is today, and it was, by the way, 2,000 years ago. That's why early Christians were martyred, because they could not, would not declare Caesar as Lord. They didn't have to say that Jesus wasn't Lord. The Romans didn't care how many gods you believed in. They had this huge pantheon, after all, from which you could choose. If you wanted to believe that some Galilean prophet was a Lord, fine. Just throw them a little bone. Just light a little incense and say three words. Caesar is Lord, and they're good to go. But because the early Christians understood in a very deep way what we're talking about today, that there is no one like Jesus, that he alone was Lord and Savior of all, they couldn't do it. They couldn't say those three little words, Caesar is Lord. They, and they would have gone free if they had, but they couldn't, they wouldn't. And thousands of Christ followers paid the ultimate price of that exclusivity with their lives. It turns out that Jesus has always been a source of division, but particularly in our modern culture, because we are a culture of inclusion. That is our word. That is the knee-jerk, byword, unthinking often, byword of the day. We watch as huge companies 
are chasing their tail trying to be more inclusive than the other guys. How's that working out for them? I got to say, I find it quite delightful that the, the financial price that they are paying for this pandering. The exclusive claims of Jesus are a violation of our cultural orthodoxy. The idea that Jesus is the unique pathway to God is cultural heresy today. But the claims of Christian orthodoxy are that Jesus was the one and only Son of God, whose perfect life, death, and resurrection accomplished the work of salvation that no one and nothing has ever accomplished. That is the gospel. No one has done what Jesus has done. No religion of good works can ever accomplish what the grace of Christ has already accomplished. And I'm not saying that there have not been wise religious leaders. I'm not saying that we have nothing to learn from other faiths. What I am saying and what I believe Jesus is saying here is that He alone is Savior of the world. That those who follow Him will receive forgiveness and salvation and that those who reject Him will live a harder life. They will die in their sins and they will spend eternity just as they chose to spend life on this earth as far away from Jesus as they could possibly get. And that is the dividing message of the gospel of Jesus. Last week I met a young man with an incredible story. He was born in Turkmenistan, a Muslim country that at the time was under the control of the Soviet Union. His parents were first-generation Muslim converts to Christianity. And it resulted in their ostracism from their family and from their community. Because they believed what they had received, they began to share their faith. They began to evangelize their Muslim family and friends, many of whom came to Christ, by the way. And the KGB, the Soviet secret police, found out about it. His dad was arrested. He was tortured. And at the age of six, they fled for their lives ending up in Norway and ultimately in the United States. Their decision to follow Jesus divided them from family, from friends, from country, and almost from life. And they found Jesus to be worth it. They found Jesus, the gospel of Jesus, the grace of Jesus, to be worth it. Sometimes the division is less spectacular than an account of almost martyrdom. But it's no less painful right here at home. I spoke this last week with an elder whose children have pulled away from the church and from their faith. They were raised in youth group. They came to church regularly. But at this point in their lives, they reject Jesus. They reject His church. And that is a painful point of division, isn't it, in any family? In fact, I wonder about you. I wonder how many here, if if, if your faith has become, in Jesus has become a, a point of division in your family, perhaps between you and a, a spouse or you and your children or between you and siblings, how many, I, I'd ask you, if that's you, would you slip your hand up? Your faith has become a point of division in your family. There's a lot of hands up, and it's brutal, isn't it? It's brutal, especially if you are parents who are watching your kids walk away from the faith. You baptize them as babies. You tried to keep your baptismal vows. You brought them to Sunday school and youth group. You prayed together and told them Bible stories. You longed for them to love and to follow the Lord and His church. 
and then they headed off to college, and they never came back. And now you find yourself tippy-toeing around faith. You still want to invite them, but you don't know if it's okay to ask, and you don't know if you're going to drive a wedge. It's so complicated, isn't it? Beloved, this is apparently the costly price that we might sometimes pay in order to follow Jesus. And it reminds us of what is at the heart of all of this, and that is this. Our relationship with Jesus Christ is the most important relationship we will ever have. The most important. More important even than the greatest marriage, and I got one. More important than a beloved son. More important than a precious granddaughter. When we declare that Jesus is the Lord of our lives, we might find ourselves at odds with those we love the most. And that is a hard thing. But, don't you love buts? But, maybe we don't need to leave it there. Maybe we don't need to settle for things the way they are. That might be the meaning of this cryptic little parable at the very end of this reading. I want to read it to you now. It starts in verse 57. And Jesus says, Why do you not judge for yourselves what is right? As you go with your accuser before the magistrate, make an effort to settle with him on the way, lest he drag you to judge, <clears throat> and the judge hand you over to the officer, and the officer put you in prison. I tell you, you'll never get out until you've paid the very last penny. Matthew's gospel includes this parable, and it's included in a different place. But here, kind of oddly, Luke links this teaching of Jesus about division with this parable. Now, it might just be one of the common sense parables that Jesus taught so often. A man is suing another man, and Jesus says, it'd be best for you if you make things right before you go to court, because at that point you lose all control. But why include this parable here? It was very intentionally here. Some think that maybe the judge in the story is God. <clears throat> that Jesus is saying, we'd better make things right with God while we have a chance, because after we die, we stand judgment, and it's too late. Maybe that would make sense. Here's another take on it that Nicky Gumbel, one of my favorite guys, he offers this idea. He says, maybe this parable is here because Jesus is talking about us doing everything we can to be reconciled to those from whom we are divided. He says, as you go with your accuser, make an effort to settle with him on the way. Maybe Jesus is saying, I know that following me may set you at odds with others. I know that they may accuse you and malign you and disparage you, but don't give up. Keep pursuing them. Keep loving them. Keep praying for them. Keep reaching out to them. Make every effort to settle with them on the way. Those words jumped out at me when we were studying this as a life group the other day. On the way. Yes, Jesus might be saying, you may be divided now. Yes, your faith in Jesus might put you at odds with those you love, but the story is not done. Your life is not done. You're still on the way, so don't give up on your loved ones. I think of one family in our church. They've had a turbulent relationship with their son. He was raised in the church, but in his teens, he rejected Jesus and rejected everything about the Christian life. 
and turned to a life that was hard and rebellious. And for years it has gone on. One painful episode after another. And those parents just kept praying. They kept reaching out. They kept hoping. They kept loving him. And last week, they got word that their son is going to church. Out of the blue, something has stirred in his heart. It's not their church. Who cares? He's going to a Bible-believing church. Something stirred in his heart. Perhaps it was years of parental prayers. Perhaps it was a young woman who said she wouldn't date an unbeliever. You go, girl. <laughs> Sweetheart evangelism. I love it. <laughs> Certainly it was the relentless pursuit of the Holy Spirit. But this young man who wanted nothing to do with Jesus, he's going to church on his own. And maybe those painful divisions are beginning to close. Jesus is divisive. That's a hard center of this passage. Now allow me to confuse you further. Jesus is radically inclusive. Jesus is radically inclusive. You say, wait a second, Pastor, you've just said that Jesus is divisive. Now, how, now you're saying he's radically inclusive. How can it be both? Because the invitation to follow Jesus, the invitation to receive his gift of his forgiveness is extended to all. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world. That's the whole world. In fact, for John, it was the world in rebellion. God so loved the whole rebellious world that he sent his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That's radically inclusive. Elsewhere, Jesus offered this blanket invitation. Come unto me, all who labor and are heavy laden. Not just some, a few. He says, come unto me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. The radically inclusive nature of Jesus' ministry meant that he invited the outcasts of society and not just religious folk. The tax collectors, the prostitutes, the drunkards, those who were excluded from upstanding religious society, they were welcomed. They are still welcomed. And as the New Testament unfolds, as the gospel spreads around the world, we find people of every background, every race, every ethnicity being welcomed into the faith. Humans, we humans tend to divide along the lines of wealth or status or race. Jesus cared nothing for those things. And in that sense, then, Jesus was radically inclusive. The gift of his saving love is offered to all. What they do with it, what we do with it, what you do with it, that's on you. So the hard center of this text is the decision to follow Jesus Christ is the most important decision you will ever make. And when we call Jesus Lord, it means that he supersedes every other earthly relationship and affection. Following Jesus may become a point of painful division. Division with a world that hates the exclusive claims of Christ. And even division within your precious family. That's the hard truth of it. But we never give up seeking reconciliation. We have no idea how the Holy Spirit is at work, even among those who seem so bitterly divided from you. 
We have no idea how at some point our prayers, our entreaties, our outreach, our invitation might finally break through the logjam of alienation and lead us to the quiet and sweet waters of Christian fellowship. So, beloved, first of all, stand strong. The world, the Lord of this world, hates it that you follow Jesus. Remember the origin of the word devil? Remember what it is? The origin of the word devil is the splitter. The splitter. It is the splitter who is the source of division around the person of Christ. It is the splitter who wants to tear families apart because of faith. It is the splitter who's driving our culture to madness and carving off Christ followers from the rest of this crazy world. And if that happens, when that happens, when we find ourselves at odds because of our commitment to Jesus Christ, stand strong. Don't be surprised. Don't be ashamed. And don't be cowards. Stand strong. And never give up. Never give up. Don't let the splitter have the last word. You keep praying for that lost husband. You keep praying for that lost child. You keep reaching out in love. And when they rebuff you, take a breather and then reach out again. As long as you are on the way, it is never, 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 never too late for Jesus to do another miracle. Let's pray. We thank you for your grace, Jesus. We thank you that you left perfection and you came to this earth on a rescue mission. We thank you that you have done something that no one has ever done before, that you lived a perfect life, that you died on the cross for our sins and then you triumphed over death. And because of your blood sacrifice and because of your resurrection, we can be forgiven. We can live in a relationship with you now and forever. Lord, I pray for those who struggled with this message because they would have to admit they're not sure they've ever declared you, Lord. There might be some here today. There might be some here who think, yeah, Jesus, great prophet, great teacher, great miracle worker, but one of many ways to reach the Father. And the idea that, that Jesus, you are the way, they've never grappled with that. Lord, perhaps your spirit has stirred them in this moment, and so I just offer this prayer, and I ask you to repeat it if this, is, if this is the prayer of your heart. Lord, I've never understood you to be who you are as I see it now, but I confess you are Lord, and I confess you are Savior. I confess that apart from you, there is no salvation, and I ask you to save me and be the Lord of my life. Would you do that now, Jesus? We can't hear a message like this, Lord, without being reminded of those kids, those spouses, those beloved ones in our own lives that are separated from us because of our faith in you. And so, Lord, for everyone who raised their hands and those who didn't have the courage to do so or too embarrassed, I just pray right now, I pray that you would breach the division. I pray that you would reach out to that husband, to that wife who has rejected their spouse because of faith. They have moved away. They refused to even consider it. Lord, would you stir something in their hearts and draw them close to yourself? I pray for those children who have walked away from the faith in which they were nurtured. God, don't give up on them. Holy Spirit, be at work in them. Draw them back 
And whatever it takes to bring them back into the circle of relationship, God, would you do it? We just pray you do it. Lord, we acknowledge what you have said, that following you is a point of division, but we pray that there will be a sweetness to us that is so profound that those who do not yet know you will want to come and know you because of our love and kindness. We ask you to do all of this in the name of Jesus. Thanks for joining us today at Chapel Hill Church. If you'd like to visit us in person, we're located at 7700 Scancy Avenue, Gig Harbor, Washington. Our worship services are Sundays at 9 and 10.30. We hope to see you there. To learn more about our upcoming events, visit us online at chapelhillpc.org. Jesus, our Messiah, hold forever those he loves, he does. Does our God intend to dwell again with us? He does. Is anyone worthy? Is anyone whole? Is anyone able to break the seal and open the scroll? The Lion of Judah, who conquered the grave. He is David's root and the Lamb who died to ransom the slave. From every people and tribe, every nation and tongue, 
shared with you today. Jesus is the divider. We are not. The exclusive claims of Christ are hard enough for our culture to stomach without us being nasty about it. It is Jesus who's called to judge, not us. Jesus does the sorting out, not us. Jesus knows the hearts of every person, not us. We are called to be gracious and welcoming and invitational and warm. The Spirit of Christ that lives within us has fruit that should be born in our lives, fruit like love and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and self-control. That's what we should show to the world. If our friends, if our family, if they opt out after hearing our gospel, if they opt out on Jesus, that's, that's their job. But let's make sure that they don't do so because we are so nasty, so unpleasant, so judgmental that they don't want to have anything to do with his people, okay? The Lord has perhaps stirred something in your hearts through the power of that spirit. We have folks that pray on either side under the banners. If, if you want prayer, maybe for that one of, that, one of those persons who's divided from you right now over faith, they would love to pray with you about that. In the back, Pastor Julie will be eager to meet you, especially if you are new. If you prayed with me in a, a new way that the Lord would be the Lord of your life, your Savior, your Lord, if you had really never prayed that before, we have a gift for you. We'd love to give you a Bible that will help you in, in your journey. Thank you for your generosity. Again, the incredible response of God's people. Keep it up. As Julie said, keep the foot on the gas and you'll find the boxes in the back. We're going to close in the way we close every Sunday because we need more of the Spirit and we Christians, we leak. So let's get more. Raise your hand. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up His countenance upon you and give you His perfect peace both now and forevermore. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and all of God's people said, Amen. Amen.